One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. I'm only human after all. I'm only human after all. Don't put your blame on me. Don't put your brain on me. He is the Temple Bar, Bad Boy, Terry Thatcher! Terry Thatcher, how are you doing? Doing very well. We here in England are going into our lockdown, just as you in Ireland are coming out of yours. Yeah, I think we still got another couple of weeks before. We're, we're still in there. Uh, level five lockdown which essentially means half the country is closed except <laughs> you know skilled what have you done to uh to, to help keep you sane and pass the time during lockdown my job I've, I've been allowed to keep working for the majority of of uh of lockdown and all so and plus um yeah i've got a six-year-old and a just gone eight month old so i've been They've been keeping me busy. Orla, my eldest, was um, she was out of school for a few months back in lockdown part one. Yeah, she was <laughs> she was out of school for a little bit, but then the schools reopened and there's new measures uh, being put into place. So she's she's coping well, and we're having the new baby here. She had plenty to do during lockdown. Literally right before the country went into lockdown, like a few weeks before she was born. She was born in February and then the the country shut down in... Lockdown babies will have stories to tell, but we are here to talk about wrestling and tell stories of wrestling. We're sending you onto a desert island, Terry, and you are allowed to take three wrestling matches burned onto a DVD to watch while you're there. What would you like your first match to be, Terry? Let's see, 1997 is a sneaky good year for me. Uh, it's like one of my kind of favorite years. Just there was, there was so much going on within the wrestling world at the time. And um, one of my favorite matches, it's, uh, it's not even so much the match itself, but it's everything around it, is the Raw before WrestleMania 14. The main event of that show is a cage match. Brad Hart versus 
psycho Sid for the WWE, the WWF Championship. Stone Cold hoping that in fact he will be the next WWF Champion. In order for that to happen, Bret Hart, ladies and gentlemen, must defeat well, the most, some would say the most awesome WWF champion, the most intimidating WWF champion of all time, who's joining us now as we see this cage is being constructed. Psycho Sid, are you ready for Bret the Hitman Hart? I am always ready, Miss McMahon, and you, Stone Cold Steve Austin, be ready to keep your ass out of my business, because I know why you're here, and you would have to be a complete idiot to have to know what you're up to. But tonight, I am going to take Bret Hart, and I am going to power on him right to the floor, and I will walk out the World Wrestling Federation champion. One reason why? Because I am the man, and I am the master, and I am the ruler of the world. Thank you very much. Oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, wow! It's a steel cage match for the World Wrestling Federation title, and it happens right here, ladies and gentlemen, tonight. The interesting thing about this is the matches for Mania are already set. So it's Sid versus Taker for the, the WWF Championship. And then it's Bret versus Stone Cold. Whoever won this match with Bret and Sid would go into Mania as the champion. So... There was a lot on the line, a lot of stakes involved. So if Brett wins, him and Austin have a title match. If Sid wins, him and Taker have the title match. So what you get is Austin coming down to help Brett, despite the fact that he hates him. And then Taker coming down to save his title match. So you've got one match going on inside the ring, and then you've got another match going on outside the ring with Austin and Taker beating the shit out of each other to try and help the other, help their future opponent win it's uh it's just it's a crazy crazy match and like i remember watching it back and uh they start running a crawl along the bottom of the of the screen saying you know fem nikita will start in five minutes so fem nikita will start in 10 minutes now or whatever it was uh, so they knew they were running long so they just they they just said ah the hell but it will just keep going Sid ends up winning, and then that's when Bret cuts what is probably his best promo ever, where he shoves Vince and, you know, that frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it. Frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it! This is bullshit! Oh, we apologize, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody knows it. I know it. Everybody knows it. I should be the World Wrestling Federation champion. Get him out of the ring. Everybody just keeps turning a blind eye. You keep turning a blind eye to it. I got that gorilla monsoon. He turns a blind eye to it. Everybody in that goddamn dressing room knows that I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Brett's in there cutting his promo and Austin's up on the video screen, like running them down. All you want to do anytime you go in the ring is cry like a baby. I tried to go out there and help you and you threw it all away because you're a loser. It could have been you and me for the championship at WrestleMania, but you blew the whole damn thing because you're a loser. 
And you know why they call you Stone Cold? Because your stones are so cold. Your stones, you won't come out here and step in the ring and be yourself. Said comes down. <laughs> That's like shouting out at said. Ladies and gentlemen, we apologize if for the actions of Red Hart who has snapped. He has lost it. You are wrong. Uh oh, look at my belt. You know We're going to try and stay with this as long as we can. Red Hart, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know shit, crybaby. Classic said. Completely out of control, McMahon. Yeah, I know that. Well, this is not going to be a this is going to be a fight here. Red Hart. Red snapped. He's lost it. Ladies and gentlemen, has gone berserk and oh no no what? Well yeah, and then Taker comes down and. Some random reason, everyone's battering each other, and then Shawn Michaels just kind of wanders out and just picks up a chair. And then just kind of starts dancing, like just kind of walking in and out of all the all the action. And yeah, it was just I love I love when a match has stakes, when a match has uh, not not just like a title match or a number one contender, but when there's there's a, a lot on the line. And um, it was just it was such a fun uh, a fun setup where Tiger trying to help Sid who he's going to be fighting in a few days, and then Austin trying to help Brett, who, as I said, who absolutely hate each other. I just I thought it was, a, it was just a lot of fun to watch. Where were you when you watched that for the first time? wouldn't have watched it live, because I, I think I would have been about 10 at the time. I think um, I, my neighbour used to record episodes of Raw for me and my brother, so we would have watched it through there. Um and then we got uh, he also record uh, he record the pay per views for us as well. So he recorded um, recorded Mania thirteen, and I ended up having WrestleMania thirteen for years. And uh, me and my brother Barry and my cousin would just watch. We wouldn't watch the the whole pay per view. We literally we just watch the last three matches and just that was they were the only matches that we'd watch in the whole show how did your neighbor find out that you guys were wrestling fans uh, i think it was just as soon as we moved in and when we moved in i think i would have been about seven or eight when when we moved into the house and then our neighbors they just happened to get talking to my brother and then they all realized that oh you're a wrestling fan oh i'm a wrestling fan let's all be wrestling fans together <laughs> um so yeah and then they my brother Barry is a massive Undertaker fan, so they'd record anything to do with Undertaker, and on an old VHS, and we'd uh, we'd play that out as much as we possibly could. Am I right in thinking that currently you live in Carlinstown? Yes, I live in Carlinstown. Contrary to uh, to the gimmick, it's yeah. going to break a few people's hearts. Uh, there's a place over here called Clondalk, and I live in um, I live in Collinstown now. I used to live in a, a smaller, like a, just down the road with my parents in um, in a place called Greenfort. It was during during the nineties, and there was um, kind of a, a fairly a fairly large kind of drug epidemic going on, and um, yeah, just an awful lot of of rob cars throughout the street, and the the house that we moved in. 
to had actually been um, before we'd gotten there. The previous owners had been uh, had been petrol bombed on two separate occasions and then got renovated by the time we moved in. I I come from a big family. There's eight of us in total. I have three brothers and four sisters. Uh, so we needed a larger house, one that would have uh, more bedrooms than the one we were living in. So we moved into into this house and it was a big bedroom. It was a big house, four bedrooms. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, as I said, dodgy would probably be the, the best way of describing it. Just because everyone, just everyone knew it was that. It was almost like, a, not a haunted house, but yeah, there was like a stigma around the house that like, Oh, that's that's that place that got petrol bombed twice, and that's uh, that's a lot to take in when you're younger, especially when you're in such a big family, three brothers and four sisters. Mm. Did you say in in every house, with, with, no matter how many brothers or sisters there are, you you have certain categories. You have you have the naughty one, you have the intelligent one, you have the helpful <laughs> one, you have the the, the one that's going to run the country, you have the one that's going to ruin the country. <laughs> um, where did you fall in that in, in such a big family? Um. Well, I came I came along late in the family. I'm the seventh out of the eight of us, so uh, I was I was at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I in some ways I kind of fell into all of those categories because um, my mum had a lot of of ideas about uh, what I was gonna do uh, when I got older. Because I was I was smart enough kid when when I was young, but uh, yeah, I guess I kind of lost some of that as well over the years. But uh, no, no, it was, um, there was not pressure put on me, but there was kind of a burden of potential, I guess would, would be the right way to say it. Because um, so many of my elder brothers and sisters, they would do well in school, but for whatever reason, they would end up having to drop out before they'd, uh, before they'd graduate. Um, either they got a job or got pregnant or, you know, just... Yeah, just uh, didn't end up working out. So there was a lot of um, again. I don't. I don't want to say pressure because they weren't like telling me, "Oh no, you have to. You have to complete school. And you have to go into college." Maybe it was, I was putting that kind of pressure on myself. But, um, yeah. So there was uh, like I said, I was burdened with potential that I was going to be the one, the last, the last hope. Because my younger sister is, uh, <clears throat> she has. Um, She's a severe case of um, severely autistic, so she doesn't uh, she doesn't speak, and uh, she would go to a special school and stuff like that. So she um, there wasn't really she wasn't gonna go to mainstream school or anything like that. So it was gonna it was down to me that I would I was kind of the, the last hope to to go and do well in school, which. Yeah. Didn't end up working out. You you say that your mum had certain designs on what you were going to be. Um, did they involve certain roles, certain job titles that your mum thought you might you'd end up doing? Um, I, I don't know if she had that in specific in mind, but uh, I was I was fairly creative when I was when I was young as well. Um, when you know I was I was decent at, at art and I was decent at, at drawing pictures and uh, just drawing in general, and even things like uh, when I would be when I would play with my wrestlers. When we wrestling figures, I would take um, some cardboard boxes and cut them up and create arenas for my action figures. And um, yeah, I'd I'd put as much, an awful lot of effort into that, and I'd be 
making storylines, like I'd have copy books with storylines and characters and um, having like theme songs for my uh, my pay-per-views. I, I used the, uh, the bunny ears there. <laughs> Tell us some of the, can you, can you remember a storyline in particular that, that you, that a young Terry Thatcher put together? <laughs> they, uh, I used to have like, um, it was also around the time when I'd be getting some of the wrestling video games. So, so like, I'd have myself in there as like just Joey. Just didn't have a last name. He, he like started as like um, he went through a, a whole different uh, run of gimmicks. So he'd be like Disco Joe, and then he changed to GI Joe, and then he changed to Psycho Joe, and then he changed just to right now I'm just Joey, and then started up a faction and. Uh, Kick go against the the evil owners. So it was it was very um very Vince and Shane um as it was at the time. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, I I I think there was a a storyline that I did where again borrowing from WWE that someone almost got run over or was going to get run over. Um, and yeah, just uh, stalled out from there. I genuinely think that there'll be people who will listen to this and that will immediately resonate because those, <laughs> there'll be, there are those who, who admit to putting on wrestling promotions with their figures and then there are liars. Like, we all did it. <laughs> we all did it. Um, with, um, with, how did you get into wrestling? Like, where did, the, where did that love start? Um, well, as I said, I was seven to L of eight kids, so I didn't have an option on what we were watching. Um, if the the older brothers and sisters were were watching wrestling, then yeah, I was I was going to be watching it too. But it just so happened that I I really really loved it. Um, I, I one of my earliest wrestling memories is I think WrestleMania six. Uh, I when I when I was a kid, Ultimate Warrior was my guy. Um, as again as many people would uh, would agree. He he was my guy uh, at the time. Like, uh, like I'd be sneaking into my mom's room and taking her makeup and putting on the face paint. And and I was uh, when I was when I was really young, I had a, I had troubles with my I had trouble with my oars. But uh, I would also I wouldn't answer to my own name, so I'd only answer to Ultimate Warrior. It's like, no, mommy, I know Joseph, <laughs> I Ultimate Warrior. So. Yeah, with the with the lack of oars, it was it was even more adorable. <laughs> yeah, That's, that is that is beautifully adorable. And it's uh, did your mother ever get annoyed <laughs> with you using using her face uh, using her makeup as warrior face paint? Did that ever cause probably? Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm sure I, I caught a few smacks once or twice for for that. <laughs> was there in obviously your so your brothers then were the ones or your 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 siblings were the ones that watch wrestling you just kind of ended up watching it because it was on did any of mm. your brothers or sisters show any interest in actually getting into it as you have done um yeah like my my eldest brother noel was always he he wanted he he would have he would have liked to do it, but then life got in the way and stuff like that and like he's doing well now he's actually he's he lives over in, in london and he's a firefighter over there so he's he's doing fairly all right for himself but uh me and my brother Barry are fairly close and back to that wrestling memory uh, he was a big Hulk Hogan fan I'm a big old warrior fan so we're watching Wrestlemania 6 and we ended up having 
our own little wrestle match in the sitting room. And for years, he tried to convince me that that Ultimate Warrior cheated in the match. That somehow, like he, I don't know, I don't know, I can't remember what he was saying. He's like, uh, that somehow Ultimate Warrior put one of the turnbuckle pads over his face, so that's why he was able to kick out of the leg drop, or just something ridiculous like that. It's like, just take the L, Barry. Take the L. Lost. <laughs> back in back in the day, my my eldest brother Noel would um, he challenge me and Barry and all the local kids to wrestling matches out in the garden or whatever. And yeah, we'd be coming in thinking, oh yeah, it'd be a bit of laugh. Noel Noel wasn't he wasn't playing around. <laughs> like we were getting full on backbreakers and body slams onto the grass and stuff like that. <laughs> I uh, we did we did one big wrestling match once um, in the sitting room with me me and my brother and my cousins um, and Noel is just he is tearing us all apart like he's dropping us all one by one and I think he like he put me down a couple of times but um, <laughs> I I took big move hid away behind the couch wait until he was finished with everybody else and he finally pinned Barry and I. Snuck in, used the old most devastating move in all of professional wrestling, the surprise roll-up <laughs> at the three count. But uh, he, had, he had this big American Eagle belt buckle. So that was my prize at the end of it. Uh, and I, it was like, up until that point, up until that point in my life, greatest moment ever. Because <laughs> three days later, I was going away on holiday and he just, he kind of came up to me and he's like, uh, Joe, I kind of, yeah. I kind of need my belt back. Here, I'll give you five pound. Like, <laughs> oh my God, five pound. Then that became the greatest moment of my life because like five pound, that was, that was the most money I'd ever had in my life. <laughs> Go a long way, five pound. Yeah, it was paper money. <laughs> when, um, when was it that you decided that you wanted to step out of the backyard and the living room fighting and actually do wrestling for real? Like, I'd always have it in my head that, oh, you know, it'd be kind of cool if I was able to do this. Because aside from wrestling, um, we also, we grew up on action movies, um, like um, like Bruce Lee and Van Damme and stuff like that. Uh, so we're we're big into, as as, as we call it, cratty movies back then. Um, so... When I saw One Two Three Kid coming along, it was like, okay, he's the small dude, and you know he does all the all the kicks and all, and I like that. I like doing doing mount salts and and well, I didn't know they were called mount salts at the time. It was just like I like doing backflips and handstands and and doing karate kicks. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe this is something that I can do, and that's when I started developing a plan. That uh, once I finished school, I was going to move to Canada because I have an auntie who lives over there. So I was going to move to Canada, move in with my auntie in Toronto, and then I was going to go and train in the dungeon, in the Hart family dungeon. So I was like, yeah, yeah, this is that's that's life, that's my life planned out, and I'm gonna gonna go and do that. I'm gonna be a a wrestler slash stuntman slash actor slash singer somehow. I was going to do all of the above, which you know, wrestling is kind of acting and stuntman and stunt work. So kind of three out of the, out of the four. Because I'd made this plan when I was about 12 before mm. I realized that, yeah, Toronto and, and Calgary are, are very far away from each other. <laughs> um, 
as is, you know, Canada is very far away from Ireland as well. So by the time I, I'd finished school at like 18 or something like that, uh, around 17, 18, uh, I real by then I'd realized that there was there was easier ways of getting into wrestling than traveling halfway across the world. Uh, so know, um, uh, so what led to the, you taking that next step then and actually beginning your wrestling training? I was around 17. Um, and me and my brother and my mates, we started backyarding. I, when I say backyarding, it's not, it's not like the American backyards. Like it wasn't, uh, you know, there was no barbed wire involved or fire or anything like that. Uh, to be fair, like the way we would do it, um, there's probably about as much distance between you and you and me right now than there was between our punches. Right. Throwing punches at each other and missing each other by about four and a half foot. But like, you know, we thought it was fun. But we had I have uh, I had the biggest back garden in, on the road. So we'd um somehow if there was ever any anyone getting rid of any mattresses, they'd end up out my back garden. And every weekend we'd all come around to my back garden and start just doing some matches and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> we started up our own little, I wanted technically like promotion, I guess is the right word. Although, you know, it was literally, it was just for us. It was just a laugh between mates. But um, we had our own little promotion. We called it OWA, the Outdoor Wrestling Association. Um, with our little tagline of want to take this outside. Yeah. Give, us, give us a rundown of some of the roster of, uh, of OWA. Um, I had, well, there's a brother. Uh, he was Baz the Machine Farrell. Um, then there was there was myself. I was uh, I was Enigma. No guesses for who I was plagiarizing. <laughs> um, <laughs> we had uh, one of my mates from across the road. Uh, uh, he was Gary, the trust fund kid Carmody. He was supposed to be like the the son of the the owner, and you know he would have money, but he'd also be wrestling in his shittiest pair of tracky buttons. <laughs> we made we made Ken. He was Ken's own Nadal. Uh, I don't I don't know why he came up with that. There's, there's no <laughs> Kenzo Nadal. It's like cross is it sort of Kenzo Suzuki crossed with Rafael Nadal. Is there a tennis theme yeah. to Kenzo Nadal? I, I, <laughs> uh, he just I don't know. He just liked Rafael Rafael Nadal or Rafael Nadal. That's the one. <laughs> um yeah there's a there was a few orders. Actually, referee Niall Fox, who works with OTT with us, he, he was involved as well. Um, he um, uh, he was called Rain for some reason, and he came out to Slayer, Rain and Blood, which is a funny sight. That's that's one of the heaviest songs in the world. And like <laughs> Niall just kind of wandering out with his, like he had really long, curly blonde hair at the time, and uh, yeah, it was just a, just a strange sight. <laughs> well, yeah, there was um. We'd be doing that on the weekends, and I had another friend who happened to, we'd known him for a while, and we'd been doing little bits of backyard with him as well, and uh, he had he had gotten into IWW, uh, Irish Whip Wrestling. He had started training with them, and I'd, I'd went to see IWW um, the previous year. I'd seen them uh, do a big super show over here, where... Um, they had like AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels in the main event. So it was a big deal. The wrestling channel had just started up 
around that time. So I was really kind of getting to see TNA and getting to see all these indie promotions. So like AJ Styles was huge at the time. Um, and then uh, after that, he'd got my, my other friend, Neil, had gotten into the training school. And I'd spoke to some of the guys at the show and said, like, how would you, you get involved? And gave me a few leaflets and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, I ended up, I went down one day, uh, decided that I would give this a go. Uh, from talking to my mate Neil, he was telling me, oh, you should definitely come down and tell me what I would need. Uh, he didn't tell me how much it would cost. So when I rocked up on the first day, I found out that I needed 60 euro for insurance. And I had just a 10 euro for the class. So... Unfortunately, I wasn't able to start when I went down. So, well, it wasn't a complete day wasted because I got to sit in and watch the class and got to meet some of the guys. And that was, uh, that was handy. And then a few months later, when I'd saved up the rest of my money, because uh, I just, I'd finished school and I'd started, uh, I'd started working. So I finally, I, I had money then. So I was able to come down and uh, yeah, I went to my first class and it was cool because some of the guys from my previous attempt, they remembered me and yeah, they welcomed, welcomed me back in. That was nice. Uh, it was good. Um, I took to it fairly quickly. I took to the, the physical part of it. Just I Maybe from being bounced around by my older brothers or from jumping off my back wall on the mattresses, I, I'd gotten my body ready for it in a, in a way. So I was able to take to it fairly quickly. Um, and the usual when you'd start training on your first day you'd you'd start on the gym mats and then eventually walk your way to the ring um, and just doing on back bumps and rolls and, and whatnot but there was a, a fun little moment then on the very first day uh, Seamus was teaching the class uh, and again seeing a, a guy the size of Seamus like wow he's a he's a big dude Um so yeah, first, uh, first class, coming down to the end of the class and uh, he's just, right, uh, well, we, have, we have a little ritual that we do for anyone who's starting training, who's doing their first class. You're going to take one last bump, uh, but you have to take it on one of these chairs and he lies down a wooden folding chair. And he's looking at me, he's like, all right, go on, do your back bump. Now, in my head, I'm going, okay, this is, this is what the... Uh, the insert is called a rib. Um, so, but I wasn't going to back out of it either. So I just, okay, got into position, threw myself back. But I could see him out of the corner of my eye. He was already taking the chair away. But he just wanted to see if I'd do it or not. But yeah, that was, uh, that was my first day. Was there anything else that Seamus taught you what, during training that has stayed with you? Um, <clears throat> he, he would always try and drill home about fitness and, and uh um, just weight training and stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, I didn't listen to that very well because <laughs> I'm pretty much still the, still the exact same size as I was then. Uh, I I can blame it on high metabolism all I want, but um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, I've also got to take some personal responsibility in that as well. He's quite big on the weight training stuff, isn't he, Seamus? Yes, yes, very, very. Like his, uh, his Celtic workouts, I've watched a couple of them and they're, some of them are pretty pretty insane. What was um what was something from that first week of training that 
surprised you? Learning kind of basic kind of math psychology. And like I'd, I was aware of some of the terms and I was aware of how some certain matches would work. You know, the, the good guy would get beaten or would, would, uh, would get beaten up for a while and then make a big kind of comeback and stuff. But I didn't realize that like the matches were structured in a certain way, like shine, heat, and cutoffs, and and all this stuff. Like, uh, uh, yeah, it was um, just that there was a lot more to it than just let's do some kill moves. It was just essentially all I was doing in my back garden was, uh, yeah, we'd stack the stack the mattresses up on top of each other and see who could give me the highest back body drop. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, there was there was a lot. There's just so much more to to wrestling as far as like uh as far as a mental game of thinking yeah you could do these kill mills but where would you do them what would be the best point to to put them in the match rather than just you know starting the match straight away and right choke slam it's just no 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 you gotta ease them into the choke slam you gotta build to to the choke slam you gotta get it at the right point um and yeah and just little things um that some of the things that would look like uh, like a wrist lock or something like was just ah well that doesn't hurt and then the guys would tell me oh no it does it doesn't hurt to be a deal if it it's it's not designed well it's not when you're doing it in wrestling it's not designed to hurt or it's a legitimate hold as well so they'd put you in the wrist lock and say that's a wrestling wrist lock this is a legit wrist lock and they'd push your push your your hand backwards and then go, oh, okay. And it's like, no, the reason we're doing that, that reaction right there, that's how you should sell it. And even that, just the term, like I, again, I kind of knew what the term was of selling, but I didn't fully understand it of what selling is. And then just learning all that. Now, I probably didn't learn all of this in the first week, but I'd, I'd be getting bits and pieces as we go on. Um, and, I think the worst thing that I learned was that dreaded Walker handshake. <laughs> the the uh, you shake someone's hand as light as possible to show them, oh yeah, I'm a light walker. Um, I yeah. <laughs> After a few months of training, I went to I went to my first show as part of the crew, and I went up to the promoter, the owner of the place, and I gave him a Walker handshake. And here I am, I'm about six weeks into training, and he just kind of looks at me, and he's like. This little bastard here, give me a walker handshake. What are you, some sort of veteran, are you? Oh, (laughs) no. That was was just what I was told. (laughs) There's so so much of it that you just, from from what I hear, from what people tell me, you just, you almost have to go through that kind of cringy initiation. It's part of the, weirdly part of the (laughs) process. And I think it always will be, you know? Um, you're also you're training, you're you're working the, uh, the 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 ring, you're fixing the ring together. So you're really moving in a direction where you know this wrestling thing could become a thing. Um, what's mm. all the while? There's you've got you know your family there and your mum who had you know this perceived idea of what you were going to do. We talked about that that burden that, that you kind of had and kind of didn't have. What's your mum making of all this? She was uh, she was happy for me. She was she's always been happy for me to do this. Um, she won. She um, kind of she saw very early on that I was like I was saying earlier that, that I'm very creative minded and you know wrestling 
can be incredibly creative. Like you, it's, you're up to your own imagination with putting together matches and stuff like that. But she also, I was also always a bit of a performer as well. Like if there ever be um, family gatherings or whatever, I'd, I'd be the one who'd have to get up and sing. Or I'd, um, I used to do this uh, this thing, all the, all the lads on the road would always get me to do it, where I'd run up a wall and do like a backflip off of it. So like a vertical wall, I just run straight up the, uh, run straight up the wall and kick off of it and do a backflip, and then I became the the backflip kid around around the area. So I was always a bit of a performer, which is weird because I'm also ridiculously shy as well. Maybe not even so much shy, it's just more socially awkward. Once once I go through the courts, then then yeah, definitely. But even like even backstage or at training, I'm still that awkward kind of bumbling I don't know some people might think I'm a bit of a dope or like because I'd be I'd be having conversations with people and they'd make a joke and I'd like do I laugh like just in my head I'd be just do I laugh do do am I do I play along with this do do I say something back and by the time I realized that um yeah by the time I've, I've I've taught something to say they've already gone on to like three different conversations Literally, and that that scene out of The Simpsons where Homer is like, "They called you stupid." <laughs> like, why are you still here? <laughs> so we've had Brett versus Sid from Monday Night Raw. What is your second match for your DVD, Terry? Um, right. Well, I I start with ninety seven. It's sneaky one of my best years, one of my favorite years. I'll continue with nineteen ninety seven. Um, um, my favorite match ever is uh, Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels in the Hell in a Cell, the very first. And now Michaels probably like to have second thoughts and their commission of slaughter is to make certain there's only one way in and one way out. The official will have the key and they're in Triple H, perhaps trying to console Shawn Michaels. But it's Michaels on the inside of the cage, not Triple H, not China, not Rude. And Michaels, and Michaels alone, must deal with The Undertaker. The realization of what awaits him finally has come to pass with Shawn Michaels. And now The Undertaker starting to move on Michaels. Michaels got to get on a bicycle and ride. Where well, are you going to ride to? Yeah, You're locked right. in a cell. Where's he going to go? This is truly hell in a cell for Shawn Michaels. You know, I, I was I was big into Undertaker. Never, not quite as much as Barry. Like, I don't have any Undertaker tattoos, unlike, unlike him. Um, but we're, we're both big Undertaker fans. And this... And I, I was... I'd been a massive Shawn Michaels fan as well. Well, you know, he was... Uh, how do you say it? he was a diddler? Couldn't in like the cultaholic sense like of the word. Yes, yes, in the cultaholic <laughs> sense. <laughs> we always have to preface that just in case new people pop in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the two Sean and Sean and Taker are my all-time favorite wrestlers. Like Sean is number one, Taker's number two. Um, but as I said, at the time, I was I just wanted the good guys to win. And there's just, there's something about that match. And the way it actually, the way it plays out kind of tells a lot for me personally of like how, uh, how my career would go. Because I'm always, or 99.9% of the time, I am the smallest guy in the match. So I just, I'd play that 
uh, I would always play the underdog and I would always fight in the bigger guy and I would always be getting just thrown around the ring, which that match is the per- it's one of the most perfect examples of big man, little man matches. Um, like the whole, the, the match, the way it starts, like Sean cuts this really obnoxious promo right beforehand and he's talking like, oh, this match is not for my coveted European championship and does a little fake wipe of the brow. And then, yeah, he's just playing it up and like acting like he's completely not concerned in any way um, until Taker gets to the ring and sets off the pyro and the lights go on. And then he just like shits himself immediately. Because then he realizes that, you know, DX is outside, the cage door is locked, there's nobody under the ring, there is literally nowhere for him to go. And he, it, like the realization sets in. Um, Jerry Lawler has a great line at the start of it as well where Taker's just following Sean around the ring he's very slowly just stalking Sean and Sean's like backpedaling and he's shouting at Vince and he's just he's terrified and Lawler's just like yeah like he's in no hurry he's like why would why would Taker be rushing I mean like I've always I've always wondered why funeral processions go through red lights what's the hurry (laughs) it was like Wow, that's that's a really clever line. It's a good line. The very first thing, very first bit of action that actually happens at the Sean, he's at the back in his way all around the ring, he gets back into the ring, hits the ropes, straight in uh, ducks a clothesline, takes a boot to the face. And it's just and then Vince has a great line, it's just Sean off the ropes, uh, ducks a clothes, oh this is not gonna be pretty. He just straight away, just a kick in the face, and then you realize uh oh, Sean is in for a very, very long night. Yeah, this is this is this isn't just like a normal cage match, like because I've been I've been kind of watching. I like I don't specifically remember the the build up. I know obviously like I've, I've watched it back, but I don't remember watching it at the time. I don't remember watching the the weeks leading up around. Um, but yeah, just the the whole the mesh. Like I, I remember the build up as far as like that. Kane was coming, the whole Paul Bearer issue. Um, and I remember some of the, the build-up then with, say, with, with Austin, uh, he stunned McMahon around that time because the whole, the whole pay-per-view was a bit meh. Like, there's not an awful lot going on. It is kind of a one-match a one-match show. Although, at the time, I loved that, that flag match that's on it. Despite, you know, Looking in hindsight, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a shit match. It's uh, Bulldog and Brett against uh, Patriot and Vader, where it's a flag match, but you don't actually have to capture the flag. You can you can just pin, so uh, kind of defeats the purpose. But um, now I just I remember just kind of looking at at the cell and the whole theatrics where where how the how it starts, and I loved even Sergeant Slaughter checking under the ring to make sure no one was under there, that you couldn't have someone come, come up through the ring later on around. And very creative way of getting out of the ring then as well, or getting out of the cage uh, with the, uh, Sean takes a spill onto the, the a cameraman and then they have to come in to get the cameraman out. cameraman out. That's how they get out of the cage. And it's terrifying now, and it was terrifying then when you see Taker giving Sean a gorilla press on top of the cell. And those uh those panels are only held together with like like zip locks. So and I think you can you can see some of them 
kind of breaking and all. Obviously, the big bump from the side and. Yeah, it's just it, like as I was saying, like it's just a perfect example of big man, little man. Um, that Sean's getting bet for so long, he's just getting kicked around for the first few minutes, and he t- take or makes one mistake, he kind of runs into the cage, and then Sean is all over him. But um, yeah, it's just I loved it. I loved my two favorite wrestlers in one of my favorite stipulations. And again, watching it back now in hindsight, they had so many great matches and so many great interactions. Like I was so tempted to just make this, uh, the three matches just be Sean and Undertaker matches. Mm. So Hell in a Cell, then Mania 25, and then the retirement match. And up until last week, I think that's where, where my head was at. That was the show during which we found out that Brian Pillman had passed away. Uh, as a young man, yeah. did that resonate with you? Like watching that, were you kind of a bit more <clears throat> aware of the the lines between reality and 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 uh, fantasy blurring there with that one? But were you re- were you re- aware of what was going on there? Did that resonate? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was ninety seven October ninety seven. I think I had. Um, I just at the time I just recently lost my granddad, so I, I was aware of of loss and and whatnot, and um, yeah, like I knew of Brian Pillman because my my mom used to used to watch late night WCW every now and then, um, and I would <clears throat> if I wasn't feeling well, I'd come down the stairs and she'd always put on. Uh, like if it was on, she'd put WCW on. I'd sit there with her for a little bit until I was feeling better. And sometimes I'd I'd realize it was a Sunday or whatever day WCW was on, and I'd say, "Mom, I'm not feeling well." <laughs> you, you're training as a wrestler. <clears throat> talk to us about your first match. The first time you got in the ring with an audience there. Go talk us through like backstage. Oh, first of all, who was who was your first opponent? Your first official opponent? Uh, my very first match was me as the Irish Dragon versus my one of my trainers, uh, the Ballymon Browser. Um, he's still a good friend of mine. We've stayed in, we stayed in contact all the years as well. Uh, yeah, well, it was. Um, it was the quickest eight minutes of my life. Um, yeah, it felt like it was about two. And I remember finding out the, the few weeks before that I would be on this show. Uh, I got a call off of one, of one of my trainers, Bam, and he was saying, um, look, we might have a spot for you. Now, I'd only, been, I'd only been training for about five, maybe six months at this point. Um, but the the guy who played Irish Dragon originally, uh, he had went down with a back injury and and subsequently had a bit of a falling out with the promoter. Uh, so he wasn't going to be coming back. Uh, and it just so happens that I kind of I fit the build. I was small high flyer, and the promoter was also looking at me and going, "Yeah, now I I, I wouldn't put his face." In front of a crowd, he looks too much like a kid. Like I know, we'll put a mask on him. So that's uh, that's where that came from. And again, I I fit the build. I did some of his moves anyway. And uh, when asked 
when uh, my trainer Bam was asked, "Is there anyone down there in the skill that could that could walk as Irish Dragon?" He immediately taught me. So, um, so that was kind of cool. But when I got off the phone with him, then I I had that inevitable feeling of dread, going, "Oh my God, I'm gonna have to actually wrestle for the crowd. I'm gonna have to plan a match, and oh my God, I have to get wrestling gear." which turned out to be just a pair of like three-quarter and baggy pants, uh, just baggy jeans. Um, and I'd borrowed someone's kick pads and uh, they got me, uh, I think it was like a mill mascaris mask and just it, just throw any mask on you and we'll just call you Irish Dragon. Um, so yeah, we went along with that. And the match, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd put it together the week before training and it was going to be this fun, fun little match. But yeah, like I said, those eight minutes went by in what felt like about two. It was just, it was so quick. It was in and out and it was done. But I didn't, uh, I didn't screw up batting. I, well, nothing too major anyway. Um, Rosa was happy enough with it. And we've we went on to have much better matches afterwards. Like we've wrestled quite a lot actually up and down the country. Um, he's still one of my favorite guys to wrestle because as the years will go on, um, he would, he'd always make, he'd always make our matches tough. Like, yeah, kill. Cool. You can go out and do high spots and do uh, big moves and stuff like that. It would be more of a of a fight with me and Bruiser. He would always try and make it more of a fight, and I always appreciated that because it would uh, it would work out well for me then in some of my other matches where I'd be just one of them, um, unfortunately, one of the staples of my wrestling style is that I get chopped a lot. And I am, as soon as I get chopped, it immediately shows up. I mean, for a while, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't use tan because as soon as someone chopped me, it would look even worse on big milky white pale skin. So, uh, but yeah, it's a tan or not. I, I bruise like a peach. The worst experience I had with Chops was um, was my match with Jonah Rock, um, one of the contender shows. Just uh, it's it's um, in as far as the contenders brand, it's one of those uh, it's one of those matches that like people talk about a lot of like kind of the worst beating they've seen anyone take. But um, no, I've like there's been some others as well, like Browser. Yeah, he'll always he'll always try. Like he actually got personally offended when I said that Jonah Rock chops harder than him. He was like, "Okay, all right, well, we'll see about that now." So now the next time, the next time we have a match, yeah, I'm gonna chop you even harder. I'm gonna chop you even more. I'm gonna chop you in the legs and in the back and in your wrists. Just I'm just going to chop you in every part of your body, which he did. <laughs> Um, you're part of um, OTT. You talked about the contenders there as well. This is sort of yeah. like a uh, the sort of the championship division to the OTT Premiership division. This is sort of where people come in. To, yeah. To, and so it's a case. It's a combo. Is it sort of a heavy combo from uh, from people who are coming in to see whether they might become mainstays? You'll get like the odd person coming over imported, like a Jonah Rock. Um, when did you finally get on board with the with OTT? How did that? conversation start uh, well I'd been I'd been around for a while at that point OTT started in 2014 in October of 2014 um yeah and then um I I was there at some of the early shows just helping out and stuff um 
uh, eventually. Um, now I'd I'd been I'd been still doing Irish Dragon at the time, and Irish Dragon is ultimate underdog. He's plucky baby face. Um, but OTT when it for, when it first came by was uh, was strictly over 18's promotion, um, and Joe Cabray, who runs OTT, he was uh, he was very adamant that he didn't want Irish Dragon on on these shows. He just he figured that the gimmick just wouldn't work. Um, one walk in front of in front of that crowd. Um, uh, so, like, even if it did, even if I was able to pull it off, I would have to go out and get a whole new set of gear because he just like he was absolutely not on board with the gear at all. He was like, "Look, you could you could go out and spend a, a fair whack of money on new gear, like maybe something kind of Game of Thrones looking to go with the dragon the dragon deal." But uh, it was just like, but that's it'd be just it'd be an awful lot of money for me to spend on a gimmick that may or may not get over. So he was just like, look, just leave it with me. I'll come up with an idea. It's like I want to get you on the show, but I want it to be under the right circumstances. So eventually, we we came up with an idea. He, um, I was down training, and I was running a spot with one of the boys, and it was like, okay, well. You be face, you be healed. So I was a heel in in this in this certain spot, and I was just getting a bit of heat on him. And whatever it was that happened uh, during this little spot, I kind of I cranked up my aggression and just really started going to town on him. Uh, and after the spot was over, everyone was like, "Wow, okay, well, huh. dragon as a heel, maybe there might be something there." So Joe started pulling, started thinking about it and started trying to come up with with different things. But instead of me as a baby face, to have me as a heel, like as as I said, like I was a bit of a, like I was a kind of a high flyer when when I was dragging. But this is around the time when you know OTT had just started and Pete Dunne and Ryan Smile and guys like that were coming in and they were bringing in this uh, Brit Rest indie style. So. While I could do some okay high flying, I was nowhere near their level. And like, yeah, you could have me go out and do okay stuff. And then two matches later, they're going to go out and blow everything I do out of the water. So it wasn't, it wasn't going to work that way. So we eventually came up with this idea that I was going to be a skinhead uh, more along the lines of this is England. What I came back with was more American History X. Uh, which yeah, it, it didn't uh, didn't really go down all that well in front of the crowd. Like they were interested in it. We did a, a nice little promo package beforehand of me, uh, just some uh, some black and white shots of me putting on a bomber jacket and and the boots and stuff like that. And um, yeah, like you now in, in the promo, we kind of we made it a point to make sure that this was like it's not a racial thing. It's definitely not a racial thing. We have to drill that home. Definitely not a racist. Um, was there a big we, concern uh, then that people were going to jump down your throat on that and say, this, is, this isn't this is cool? So you had to do something very quickly to establish it's not what you yeah, think it is. Just kind of say it, say it out. Exactly. Just say it out straight that it's not about acting like that. Um, that I was just going to be this angry, aggressive... Uh, yeah, just an angry, aggressive dickhead. Um, and yeah, and the force, my force match in OTT went pretty well. I was against another Davion guy. 
ironically enough, was also a ma- was a mass character. I'm just kind of all right. So all right, so you just didn't want Irish Dragon. It's not so much you didn't want uh, mass gimmicks on it. You mm. just didn't want my mass gimmick on it. So uh, yeah, we uh, we ended up having this match, and he's the the guy that was wrestling um, was he's one of my one of my mates as well, and we got along really well. We've had great matches before, and uh, yeah, it was a good introduction, but. What ended up happening was um, I missed a few weeks training and missed some uh, flyering and postering jobs. Like we were supposed to go out and put up some posters around the city centre and I'd, I'd, I'd missed a few of them. So Joe had to take me off the next show. So uh, built up some pretty decent momentum coming in but then missed the show. And then kind of lost some of that momentum kind of straight off the bat. How come you so, ended up uh, missing, um, missing out on some of those things? Was there, was there other things going on or was there just a lack of interest in that area? Uh, I don't know. I think it was, just, it was probably like a lack of commitment more so than nothing else. Uh, just uh, or like whatever reason, like, like it just whatever came up that I couldn't make it down. Um, to any of the sessions or any of the, the the jobs, but again, I I should have look looking back at it. Like I I know that's been an issue of mine now. Like I'll it'll happen a lot where I'll put something on the long finger and say I'll just go down next week, and then something else will come up, and then before I realise I've I've missed a month. But um, yeah, it's just. Unfortunately, that's that's an issue that I I, I deal with now. It's 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 a lot easier for me to excuse that now because I have I have the girls at home, so I have to prioritize in that way. But like mm. back in the day, um, like even like in my early days, it would still be I would still have those issues. But that was just down to my own laziness or uh, just not not prioritizing right. And not putting enough into into training and into into wrestling in general, but yeah, it's because I just gotten a job and finally had money and I was old enough to go out, so I started living my life that way rather than focusing on on what I should have been on a career. Did you? But, um, yeah. I, did you find that you once you got taken off of the show? Where did that put you mentally with wrestling? Um, like once, once I got kind of permanently taken off the shows. Like uh, I'd miss, I'd miss a show here and there, but I'd be thrown into a spot, into uh, just into into be a body on the on the show, or like be a body in a match or whatever it was. And uh, it was going like nothing, not an awful lot happening for me in like creatively so it was just eventually the bookings just kind of disappeared and um yeah like i'd still be i'd still be going down training i'd still be involved in some ways but yeah it it was a little disheartening but at the same time i kind of i knew as well that uh a lot of it was was on me for putting myself in that position but again, I'd try and justify it by saying, oh, well, you know, I've got, like, I had, I had Orla at the time. Mm. We didn't have Eva yet, but, like, 
but I would still try and justify it to myself and say, oh, well, you know, I've got stuff, I've got stuff going on at home, but I should have, I, sh- I should have probably tried to prioritize a little bit better, but, you know, I can't, can't change it, can't change it now, and I can't, I can't sit and dwell on it either. What changed in your mindset that put you back on the road? Um, I don't really, like, it was just a, I'd been, I'd been solidly training and I knew that I was, I was doing, I was doing okay. Like I knew when I was coming down training, um, I was, I was doing, I was doing fairly well as far as the classes go. Uh, it got to a point where I was even like, I was teaching some of the classes then as well. And so I started kind of gaining a bit more confidence back and we'd, we decided to, to kind of drop, well, not so much decided. It just, it happened because I've been off the shows for so long that, the skinhead gimmick had disappeared. Like I, I, I stopped shaving my head. Um, and it was, it was actually, there was a point where I'd stopped shaving my head and then randomly got a call and said, oh, well, can you walk this show in Limerick? Now, I hadn't walked in a while, so I'd let my hair grow out again. And I wasn't going to cut my hair again just for the one booking. Um, and I said, okay, well, just, look, I'm not, I'm not cutting my hair again. And I was like... Okay, well, we'll walk around it. So I still came down, and <laughs> I, uh, I wrestled as the skinhead, just without a skinhead. So right. my graphics still had, still had like, the skinhead Terry Thatcher. And I'm coming out, and I'm acting the exact same way, but I've just got, I've got like, a full head of hair. Uh, I was against Fabulous Nicky, um, and we did a few little comedy spots at the start. Like, he, he's more of a comedy character. And uh, we do a spot at the start where he kind of points out, he's like aren't you supposed to be bald? And I reach up and grab my hair and go, oh, I forgot to shave this morning. <laughs> um, we did a cute little spot then as well where I had him down and, you know, I still uh, I had the suspenders at the time. Yeah, I still do. So, like, I pulled them up and then took them down, like, court angle and went for an ankle lock. And that's, I've, uh, I've kept the braces up, braces down, and uh, brace yourself. I've kept that up now since that's kind of it's become a catchphrase now but it stemmed from a random comedy match a non-recorded comedy match in Limerick of me pretending to be Court Angle some of the best things like that do happen by accident um (laughs) where where did the name come from then I don't know see initially we were just gonna go with me me own name I was just gonna be Joey Farrell but um I don't know you just it uh Thatcher might get a bit of heat with an Irish crowd. Just the name Thatcher uh, yeah. might get a bit of heat. And then just went with a, uh, alliteration of just the TT. So just, okay, Terry Terry Thatcher, that'll do. And uh, yeah, it sounded sounded interesting. It sounded like a good name. Now, it wasn't until a couple of years later that I realized that there was another Thatcher out there with Timothy Thatcher. And then... I played it out. Like I, I went down. We were, like I kept bringing it up. Then that he was my cousin. I only did it because he wasn't on social media, so I was able to keep calling him out all the time. Sure, he wouldn't be happy about that. Although we did get the wrestle last year, and uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. The battle of the Thatchers. You must have been buzzing off that if you've already made this connection with the fans. That oh, I'm his mm. cousin. It's fine. It's fine. And then you get the opportunity yeah. to actually, without even you know, this was whilst it was never on the on the cards. 
you get the opportunity to tie yeah. this story in beautifully. So in like sort of 18 months, is there an opponent for you that has absolutely stood out? Um, there is, but I guess we'll get to that in a few minutes. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Talk to us about the promotion and, and why it's so important to to the Irish wrestling scene because obviously we had IWW before uh, but OTT very much seems to have sort of... We're OTT they came along at the exact right time with the exact right product for uh, for an audience that had felt left behind I guess um, <clears throat> before OTT there was a small promotion that I worked for called DCW <clears throat> now they were a terrible promotion. Like, just awful. Awful. Two lads uh, playing fantasy general manager just with real life people. Uh, they happen to have a ring. Not a, not a great ring. Um, they happen to have enough money to book venues with lousy uh, promotion. Like a few posters and flyers here and there but like they had a localised radio show that they were to advertise on. But the one thing about DCW, what they did do right, um, was they utilized social media. And they <clears throat> they were the first guys to really start using Facebook to promote their shows um, and upload videos and stuff like that. And uh, they never marketed themselves as an over-18 show, but they ran like it was an over-18 show. I mean, the very first show... They have this big main event and it's a street fight between two of the boys. And at the end of the match, uh, the two owners who had been feuding all night long are now together. And uh, they tried to set one of the guys on fire 
after he'd been put through a door and stuff like that. And just like, it was just not only set him on fire, but they buried him in the Dublin flag and tried to set that on fire as well. And it was like, this is, this is too much. And <laughs> like they're coursing the entire time. And there's, there's kids in the crowd and stuff like that. And there's been no mention that it's an over 18 show. Um, so unsurprisingly, that only lasted about 10 months. But it did, it did kind of show that there, there, there was a bit of an audience there for an over 18s product. Um, and a couple of the other places, like Mainstay, the, the place I was with after that, Mainstay Wrestling, which are subsequently there, kind of, that's, that, that's what OTT started from, from Mainstage. Um, they ran a couple of over 18 shows as well, but they were specifically marketed as over 18 shows. They're held in beer gardens and in pubs and stuff like that. So it was only for adults. And same again, then kind of realized, okay, there's definitely a market for this. But uh, the, aside from that, the thing with that OTT, with the importance of OTT is that it's brought kind of everybody together under one big umbrella. Because, Back when I when I first started, there was three three promotions in the south of Ireland and a couple up north as well, or at least there was one up north. They've sprouted off into different ter- uh, different promotions up there as well. But um, <clears throat> um, yeah, there was there was three promotions in Dublin. There was IWW. There was a smaller place in, called CPW. And then just outside of Dublin and Bray, um, there was NWA Ireland. And nobody could intermingle. If you were with IWW, you could not train with NWA. You couldn't uh, associate with them outside of outside of training either. There was just it was bred into everybody that they're the enemy and we can't we can't be with them, we can't walk with them. And unfortunately, it, it kind of it stunted the growth in Irish wrestling for years. Um, and then OTT came along, and Joe had he'd done a lot of promotion with American Wrestling Rampage, which they toured all over all over Europe. And they had some of the big the big names as well. Uh, a lot of the ECW guys, a lot of like they had Bret Hart on a couple of their shows and Psycho Sid and they're mixing up with some of the Irish wrestling guys as well. So like he knew all about promoting. Um and thankfully he was able to and he knew he had connections with everybody from every skill. So uh he got he, he was able to get all the all the talent from across the country together to start walking on shows. And uh, yeah, it just, it, it made things, made things a lot, a lot healthier. And then with the addition of people like uh, Pete and Ryan to bring the, the British indie style over here. And Pete and Ryan had been over here before. They actually worked in DCW uh, back in the day. I got to work with, with both of them for a little bit. Um, back in 2011. Um, And yeah, just them bringing that style in, it forced everybody over here to up their game as well. That like, okay, this is is where wrestling is now. And lo and behold, a few years later, that's that's exactly what happened, is just everyone started kind of going down that 
that Brit Ress indie style um, of like just big, spectacular, dramatic matches instead of your usual kind of hokey, good guy, bad guy, yay, boo, those kind of matches, which is predominantly what we've been doing over here for so long before OTT um, came about. The the importance of obviously that changing in style has helped uh, evolve not just OTT but the Irish wrestling scene and I think the 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 significance of of Ryan's smile in particular can't be understated either and of course yeah. uh, a few weeks back we lost Ryan's smile and I wanted to I wanted to celebrate the life of Ryan uh, a little bit here today with you and ask if you have any any stories about times that you spent with Ryan Smile and 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 things that uh, and OTT based stories flavored OTT flavored stories that uh, you may have about Ryan Smile. Um, well, I didn't get to do an awful lot with Ryan during his OTT run. Like obviously, like I was there helping out, and um, yeah, he uh, <laughs> he was a big fan of the of the original incarnation of Terry Thatcher. Um, yeah, he thought that was that was really cool looking. He was just like. Him and Damien Corvin of Kings of the North would always have the the same re, the same reaction to me every time they'd see me in the full get up with the camos and the wife beer and the suspenders. They're just like Ed Forlong. <laughs> like, yep, that's that's how I was going. With. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, my my main interactions with Ryan was back in DCW and getting to wrestle with him and really kind of being in awe of wow this is this is a whole different style than than I've been used to um and kind of forcing me again forcing me to kind of step up to uh, to walk with him um and this was fairly early on in his career uh but you know between himself and Pete and Damien Dunn was was there with them as well and they were there the matches that we we're having there they were they're all really really high on which again boosted my confidence a lot to to hear from guys like that that like yeah that's that's when I like we had this this uh, flag match where the um, I'm still know? here I'm here I'm still here just my camera's gone off <laughs> but I'm still I'm still here I'll get that sorted so carry on yeah uh, we had a we had a flag match in a local uh, GAA hall where you had the the Irish flag and the British flag down at the end of the at the end of the hall. And the idea was you had to pin the other guy, go down, capture the flag, and bring it back to the ring. Um great little match. And there was a cool little bit as well where Ryan just I don't know, he uh, he decided to do something on the fly and he went into the crowd. He's about he's at the pin of me, he's going down to get the flag and just decides to stop. Uh, he and my girlfriend Linda had had a bit of back and forth on Facebook, so we spotted her in the crowd, uh, grabbed her by the hair, dragged her out. Now, thankfully, Linda's uh, Linda's always good for to participate. So, oh, that's she, uh, she had no issue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she had no issue with it. But um, yeah, so he he grabs her, takes her out of the crowd, and of course that sets me up to come out and dive on top of him. And, um, you know, he's talking to her and he's just like, right, make sure you give me a chop. So I'm holding, uh, like, I'm holding Ryan back. And he's like, go on, chop me, chop me. And Linda gets there to give him a big chop and stuff like that. But, like, some of the things that you would do just kind of on the fly. Um, 
like same again. Like I, I go to whip him into 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 a wall, and he decides, oh no, no, I'm not going to take it into the wall. There's a big pile of chairs there beside me, so I'm just going to run and throw myself into them and pull them down all on top of me. Um. So yeah, he would. He would. He'd kind of. He'd go Elva's way. He'd, he'd make sure he got all of his stuff in. Like, uh, like he would always get get his shit in. But he would also go Elva's way to, to make his opponents look really good as well. And uh, he had, he didn't have to do that, do ant like that for me. But he did. He did anyway. He made me look as good as possible. What would you like to do as part of OTC in particular? I'd like to do to do a bit more with kind of the contenders brand. Um, um, and just to help some of the, the younger guys get uh, get onto the show and help some of the younger guys have uh, decent matches. Um, my last my last two matches actually that I had before the the world went on fire, as you said. Um, my last two matches were against a, a young lad called Justin Daniels. Justin is sixteen; is half of my age. And both times we had one on a contender show at the end of last year, and one on a local uh, local show for a school for the school of Irish wrestling. And he is so incredibly good. He's actually he's TikTok famous now as well. Um, but he is so so incredibly good in the ring. Uh, he's the fact that he's only sixteen is it's mind blowing that he's. He's that young and that good, and he's got such a great head on his shoulders. He's such a good, good, decent person as well. Um, but yeah, for guys like that, and there's a couple of other lads like Danny Cross is a, uh, he's one of the trainees here over here, and he's had a couple of a couple of shows, a couple of of outings on the Contenders brand. But I would like to give him um to give him a, a a match as well. I'd like to have a match with him in general, but I'd like to give him his real kind of standout performance. Um, there's a couple of other guys like uh, Alex Grayson. Um, trying to think of some of the other guys. But yeah, no, there's, um, there's plenty of, of young talent and I'd like to do that. I'd like to run this kind of gatekeeper of contenders because contenders is where I reestablished myself. It's where I created my own, my own character and my own little brand. Uh, and I'd like to, to kind of give back to it by taking some of these new younger talent and giving them a really standout performance, giving them a really standout match that people will go on talking about. Same way, like what happened with, with Justin. We've got one more match for your DVD, which you've given a little hint at already, but as well as three wrestling matches, you're also allowed to take a movie, an album and a luxury item. So let's start with the movie. What movie are you going to take, Terry? Like, if I could bring the entire box set, it would be Rocky. But I can't have one Rocky without having the rest of them. So I, well, I'm going to go with Terminator 2. I, honestly, I just, I love that movie so much. Like, I, it, there's so many classic, um, classic lines. And I always, I remember from when I was young as well. Like, it was, it was one of those movies that we'd always watch if it was ever on. Or if we could get, if we could rent it from the local video shop, then um, we'd always get Terminator 2. Uh, it was just, it's just an all, it's an absolute all-time classic. Um, and plus, you know, the I 
I had this conversation with Linda a lot about the fact that I think there might be something wrong with my tear ducts. My tear ducts, because I don't cry. I get very close when, um, you know, the thumbs up at the end when he's going down into the into the fire. I get I get very close, and I get well just like around that time, you know. The I know now why you cry, but it is something I can never do. And I was like, oh my god, no, Arnie, don't. But uh, no, how does, I, how does I your partner feel it. about the fact that whilst? You, you are genuinely concerned that you have a problem with your tear ducts and you don't cry at emotional moments, but you will cry at the end of Terminator 2. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jeez, is she not a bit off-put by that? Like, hang on, you went... <laughs> a little bit, actually, yeah. Well, to be fair, like, she cries over everything. Like, I, I, she she can't watch... Um, she can't watch A Little Princess without immediately bawling up. So, like... She cries over everything. I'm pretty... What were we watching there the other day? I'm pretty sure she cried the other day at Hocus Pocus. Oh, when, they, when Bing's dies. That's but exactly. yeah, she... Like, she... It is, it is. But, you know, she more than makes up for it. How about um, an album? What album would you take? Album? Uh, I will take Damien Rice O. What's the significance uh, of, of Damien Rice's O album? Uh, it should... One of my favourite albums ever. Um, I love every song on it. Um, a lot of the songs have uh, significant, like significant emotional uh, meaning to it for for me personally. Um, it seems like that I've 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 always had that album for one reason or another. Like for whoever whoever many many years, I've always had that album. And I've always been able to put it on and just sing along to it by myself or or in company depending on, on which company but you know myself and Linda we'll, all, we'll often sit down and, and if we're if we've a sitter for the night and we, we'll have a few a few drinks when when we can um, we'll just sit there with YouTube on and maybe throw on uh, a bit of demo and uh, yeah no it's just, I, I really do I love I love the album um, I love all of his albums, but if I had to pick one, I, I would, I'd pick the first one. But the the full extended edition that has like four additional songs at the end of it, that you, you think the last song is over, but no. Oh, you check your CD player and realize that there's still another 17 minutes left of this track. Like, okay. Well, just keep let, let it go. Uh, let it keep going. Then. And then you find out that there's loads more songs on the end. Um, but yeah, no, it just... Like I said, there's there's just over the years there's always been for one reason or another there's been some sort of emotional connection and significance to almost all of the songs. And Which, plus, I got to see him a few years ago, and that was uh, that was pretty amazing. Which um, which song is more likely to set off the Terminator Two tear ducts? Uh, is it <laughs> is it Cannonball or I remember? Um, ooh. Let's see. I don't know if I remember it would make me cry because it, it like that's a weird one because half of the song it's all touching and, and lovely and sweet and then it just kicks into that second half and it's just it's really just angry and um yeah, I don't know. I don't know if any of them would really get one. Like maybe if I'm on the if I'm on the island by myself, I might because then nobody could see me. Mm. Um <laughs> <laughs> and plus, you know, the the 
listening to maybe listening to the delegate and going, oh, that was that was Linda's favorite song, and then going, oh no, <laughs> it's um, it's what are the what are those? What's the phrase? Is it um, tide raises all ships? It was when Little Mix won X Factor. Uh, their first song was Cannonball. And yeah. what was it was a bittersweet because for, for fans of that song, it's so beautiful and so earthy. And then suddenly to have it give it this big pop remix with the key change and all the accoutrements that come with that. Yeah. Kind of takes the, the, the charm off it, but at the same time, it did put Damien Rice in the top 10 for Christmas. So there is yeah, that yeah. as well. And I just found it put more people into it, you know, but then, yeah, less said about the little mix version. It's that, uh, you know, my, oh, yeah, my favorite, my favorite singer that I used to carry around in my back pocket is now suddenly too big for my back pocket because everybody loves him now as well. <laughs> it's like everyone's up the dinner no, and wait, He's infuriated. mine. He's mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is like a, there is like a preciousness, isn't there, when suddenly like somebody yeah. you, you love suddenly becomes a big thing. It's like, no. What are you doing? It's my one. Leave him be. Yeah. How about you can, a, also, you can also be all like, well, I like them for so, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, glory seekers. <laughs> um, how about uh, how about a luxury item? What are you going to take with you? Uh, I've had an additional week to think about this, and I'm still not sure. <laughs> oh, blimey. <laughs> I, um, I did. I really like Mance Warner's idea. I'm oh. just having like... Uh, it's a limited alcohol. Yeah, mm. he loves he loves the <laughs> have some, Yeah, have like a, a an eight pack or like a, just a box of bottles, like just airlifted into me every night, or like once I once I run out of one. What would um, be your uh, your oh, beer of choice if that was the case? Uh, Canadian. I love. Uh, I do like an L an L kind of Canadian. Now, just gonna throw this out here. Let's say I'm taken away onto the desert island. Um. Do I still have what's in my pockets? Technically, right now, I don't have my phone in my pocket, but I do right. have my wallet, and my wallet has pictures of my girls. Because okay. I was going to say, will I bring some pictures of the girls as my luxury? I mean, are you th- so are you thinking then photos of your girls? Yeah. Unlimited alcohol would be great, but like, <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to live without like pictures of the girls. Or Orla has, uh, Orla has drawn a few pictures of, of the family, so I'd probably bring one of them. What um what what traits can you see coming through in your girls that remind you of you when you were younger? Um, Orla is really really intelligent. She gets that from her mom. Uh, she's she's almost too intelligent for her, for her own good. She's so smart that she's afraid of everything because she sees the danger in everything now. So like last night was was a, a pretty harsh night on Halloween because. She hates fireworks. So even though we're, we're not really, we weren't allowed to do trick-or-treating last night, we're still able to go out into the garden. And if, if any of the other kids came around, we weren't going to say no. We weren't going to tell them, no, you're not allowed trick-or-treat here. So we had, we had bags of, of goodies for them. And, um, and you, like Orla's friends would come over and they'd drop in a bag for Orla as well. But... She was only able to be out there for about 10 minutes before the fireworks and the explosions just got a bit too much for her and she had to go in. So, um, like, she can't go to the bathroom by herself. She she has to get me or Linda to go up and check and make sure there's no bugs in the bathroom, which is weird because she loves bugs. She's really interested in bugs. Uh, 
Although her favorite thing in the world is the human digestive system. She really loves teaching people about like what happens to your food once it goes into your mouth and through your your esophagus and um, like describing everything that happens and what happens to to your food in the large intestine and the or the small intestine and then then into the large intestine and she's very like there last week or whenever it was all the girls are bringing out their toys and she's like oh, I'm gonna go in and get a toy as well and she goes in and gets a science book that has a lot of pop ups about the uh, about the human body. <laughs> so, um, but if I was to say Anne, that she would take from me, she's very creative. Very creative with our, our arts and crafts, um, with with the stuff that she wants. Like she made herself, she wanted. I'm actually looking at it now. She made herself a little necklace uh, of um, her. Uh, she wanted like a spooky necklace to go uh, with her with her costume, and she got a piece of twine and made some some little ghosts and, and witches and stuff like that, and sellotaped them all onto the little piece of twine so she could put it around her neck. But now she has it over her art desk. But yeah, she's she uh, she's very very creative with her arts and crafts. That's something that's because that's, yeah, you said yourself you were very creative as a kid, weren't you? So that's something very much that's yours. Yeah. Of course, with um, with Eva, Eva's maybe a little bit. The jury's still out. Like I, I, I know, I know. Um, Aura's definitely mine. Okay, I can I can figure that out. But um, you know, it's it's still a bit early. I mean, even though. You know, I looked at I looked at a lot of pictures of myself as a baby, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I can see the resemblance." But you know, all babies look like that. All babies look cute. <laughs> you now, you know, Eva Eva looks cuter than the rest of them. But you know, I yeah, I I, I haven't I haven't uh, I haven't seen any any personal traits just yet. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to the podcast. In I'll, be time. <laughs> I'll be watching that milkman though. I'll be watching that milkman. Teased us with your third and final match. I feel like it's going to come from possibly from OTT, but let's find out from yourself. What's your third and final match going to be, Terry? Uh, yes, my third and final match will be my, um, myself versus Mark Haskins from Contenders 14. The opportunity for OTT goals to be around his waist one more time. Such a driving force in his life. Nothing means more to Terry Thatcher. And he's going to fight for it right now with everything he's got, with every fiber of his being. Absolutely, Angus. We saw the fight Terry Thatcher had to get to to win that NLW championship last year. The resurgence, as you have so aptly named it. But he was unceremoniously dethroned. NLW championship gone. And since then, he's had a taste for gold. Can't seem to get the job done again. These people love him, of course, but that means absolutely nothing. Talk to us about the, the, the build to that match. When you found out you'd be in the ring with Mark Haskins, what was your reaction? Um, it was early last year, and we're going into a show in February uh, called... What was that? It wasn't Homecoming. Um, I, can't, I can't remember what the name of the show was. Uh, is it February last year? Yeah, February last year was. Uh, 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 let me put up cage match for you. Hang yeah. on. Uh, yeah. uh, was, was it unfinished business? 
No, uh, sugar. I cannot remember. Well, it's it Homecoming Two, years. which was the the triple threat with you and Andrew Everett and Terry Thatcher. Yeah, well, that that must. Yeah, that was it then. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. That's the one. I'm thinking of something else now. Um, so yeah, there was Homecoming, Homecoming Two, um, in the the National Basketball Arena in Tallaght. Uh, it was me, Andrew Everett and Mark Haskins and I'd never met Mark Haskins or Andrew Everett at this point and that was that was our first meeting um, and it was a fun little match uh, Haskins got the win uh, but it was uh, it was interesting being in the ring with him he's really really intense like before the match everything was fine everything's nice and chill and uh you know, we're planning out the match and whatnot and got to a point where Haskins was out at the merch table and me and Everett are trying to plan the match, but we forgot a spot. And we're literally just looking at each other and just going, let's just wait till Mark gets back. So we, Mark gets back and we go over the match again and go out, have a little match. And before we went out, Haskins actually said to us, just look, uh, just give you a heads up. I'm pretty intense when I get to the ring. So, uh, Take no offense by anything that I say or do out there. You're like, oh, okay, all right, grand. He, he meant that because once we got out there, he's like proper up into both of our faces and yeah, just thinking like, oh my God, did I do something wrong? <laughs> like, oh, 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 now I get it. So yeah, we had the match. It was a good little match. Um, Haskins got the win by, I had hit my finish on, on Andrew Everett and then Haskins came in and stole the pin off him. So that... That gave me something then to uh, to walk with. And I don't know if, if this was the original plan, but we started kind of moving in that direction. So in the next show, or one of the next shows, I had a, a triple tray with myself, NJ, uh, LJ Cleary and Martina. And the winner gets a, a title shot at Haskins for the, uh, the GM belt. Um, I ended up winning that and I caught this promo afterwards and it was... Really, really intense. I don't know if that promo is still available anywhere, but like I cut this really promo, a really cool promo. It was like I was coming straight from the ring, straight into the promo boot. And yeah, cut a really intense promo on him, telling him that like he didn't beat me the last time, he wasn't going to beat me this time, and he was coming to my neck of the woods in contenders. So then roll into contenders, uh, find out that we're on in the main event. And I was like, okay, this should be a fun day. Uh, and you know we did we a lot of time to kill before the show, so we actually got to sit down and have a proper conversation. And um, Linda wasn't oh, uh, she wasn't pregnant at the time, mm-hmm. but we were talking about it. And uh, obviously, Mark is a, is a dad of two, so it was actually took took the time then to just talk to him and say. Any advice for uh, someone becoming a father or two? Because this was on, it was on Easter Sunday last year. And uh, I'd gotten there kind of late because obviously I had to had to do Easter with the girl, uh, Easter with, with Orla and um, have her open her eggs and whatnot. And she got a visit from the Easter bunny. Um, so I was a little bit late to the show and I was explaining that to him. And he was like, oh, you're a dad as well. I was like, yeah, yeah. I was actually, and came up in conversation that we were we were thinking of trying and he was giving me some advice and stuff like that which uh yeah that uh don't ever get involved 
don't don't ever get in between the two of them because they will immediately turn on you and just try not to turn your back on them because they will work together to work against you. I was like, okay, cool. I'll keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we had this, we had a pretty cool match planned. And once we got out there, uh, I felt like, not that I was on his level, because Haskins is one of the absolute best in the world. He's legit one of the best I've ever been in the ring with. Um, so I wouldn't be I wouldn't be arrogant enough to say that I was on his level. But I on that day I was able to come up to his level for you know the twenty minutes or so. Um, and yeah, it was just it was a really it didn't start off as intense as some of our matches started off. It started off nice and slow. And we built it and we we built the anticipation we built the interest and um because we'd wrestled before we were starting to we were starting to get more familiar with our offense so i was able to counter some of his stuff and he was able to counter some of mine and um there was a, a really cool little spot in it where we're fighting on the outside and we walk with a 20 count instead of a 10 count in otd so haskins realized this and we're hitting about eight or nine, and he goes, oh, we're on a 20 count, right? Goes, yeah, okay. Hoist me up, drags me down to the back of the, the, back of the room, slams, uh, puts me in a, a submission, and then legs are back into the ring. Meanwhile, I've got about eight seconds to get back in, and it's so, it's just, it's so dramatic that the camera is coming behind me, and I'm literally, I'm crawling, I'm crawling through the crowd. Foxy is hitting... 17, 18. I thought Haskins wanted to win. That's 17. Patrick won't make it. 18. 18. 19. Oh. oh the... By the narrowest of margins. Oh, I was just about to say, there's no way Nile Fox is going to count out Tony Thatcher. He was going to. 19.99. Would Thatcher have been safer health-wise to take the count out? He's down and out here. And Haskins is in the ring and he's proper like, che- like cheering on. He wants me to lose by count out. Like, perfect heel move. Absolutely perfect heel move that he will take the count out loss. Um, uh, take the count out win. But uh, yeah, it was just, it was such a really fun match. There's a great little spot later on as well where I did an Asahi moonsault uh, Haskins goes to actually there was one before that one of my favourite spots is uh, I do a kind of like a coast to coast elbow where I go from one corner all the, almost all the way across and I go for it Haskins roll towards me I land on my feet hop up onto the set, onto the opposite corner and come across with with the elbow the second time and I can't remember if I'd done it before uh, but yeah it, it came across really well but yeah, we, we do the spot where Haskins is, I'm on the apron, he goes to baseball, slide me, I jump up, Asai Moonsault, onto Haskins, onto the floor. And I crack my knee on the way down. And uh, I'm selling the knee. Uh, we go back in, we go to the finish of the match, he's about to hit me, his finish, and I roll him up. Awesome. Oh. That's with the crucifix. Oh my God! Gold once again. I don't believe it. And the roof comes off the ringside floor. 
Linda is very, very drunk at the time. So she comes over, grabs me by the ears, pulls me out to the apron, starts wearing the face off of me. <laughs> God, <But> yeah. <laughs> she, um, yeah, so she does that. And then, yeah, hands me the belt. Haskins is storms off and they're celebrating. And then out he comes with his, uh, his golden contract, cashes in on me. We do another couple of, like he cashes in, take, gets his rematch immediately, and I'm beat up, I'm sore, my knee is, is, uh, is kind of bollocks at the, at the time. A real man gets a win any way he can! And I told you all, Mark Haskins is the smartest man in OTT! Mark Haskins by any means necessary. Almost! Oh no! Patra rolls him. Oh no! Oh no, the injured knee! Oh, and right in the center! Oh. Touching all of that sharpshooter! Oh, On the injured knee, this is... This is rough! I am a former NLW champion and I'm a former GN champion for all of about two minutes. Terry Thatcher, no belts for you tonight, my friend. Mark Haskins doesn't retain, but regains. Get your head around that one, Angus. Full credit to Terry Thatcher, one of the most exciting and entertaining fighters on our roster. Yeah, full credit for getting the job done originally, but more credit to Mark Haskins for using his head and using the briefcase in more ways than one. By any means necessary. That must have been a great feeling. That must have galvanized like you're you're in the right place. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I like before like even going into the triple threat, I'd felt like I'd lost a little bit of steam. Cause um I'd lost the NLW title a few months before that. And um yeah, I felt like I'd I'd lost a little bit of steam. I was still having great I was still having pretty decent matches, but um I was just kinda directionless for a couple of months and then this uh, this just kind of fell into our laps and once we did this match then we realized that we we've got something special like we've got there's a there's a chemistry between the two of us between me and Haskins and um yeah and the match itself 
I was really happy with. I was I was happy with my performance. I was happy with the reaction from the crowd. And uh, there's some great little shots of it of when Haskins is coming back out, and you can see people in the crowd just going, "Ah, oh, for fuck's sake!" <laughs> like completely forgot about the contract. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it, that was that was great. But the funny thing is that we had planned. I was going to, the camera was going to follow me the whole way from the ring to the bar, uh, in through the, the court and to my locker room where we cut a promo. And um, unfortunately, we didn't get to do that. Because as we're coming through the court, the entire locker room is standing there and they're all giving a round of applause, which doesn't, like, it doesn't always happen. Like, you did, yeah, there'll be people there who happen to be watching and just, a great match or whatever. But like the entire locker room and Haskins is standing right in the middle of them. Um, and literally like two rows of people just give me a round of applause. And yeah, you get that if, if, um, if you've crowned a new champion, which I guess technically crowned two new champions. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was a, it was a great feeling to get that kind of reaction from, from me peers. Um, and also to know that I walked some of them as well, because uh, <laughs> uh, Danny Cross came up to me later and he was talking to me. And he's just like, um, "Jeez, man, how's your knee?" And I was like, "Fine." Like he was there; he'd been doing ring crew that night, and he was just like, "What? What do you mean, fine? Like, did you not like crack your knee on the ground? I'm like, no, no, just really good at selling." <laughs> <laughs> he's just—he's looking at me. He's like, "Oh my god, I thought." I, I thought I heard, I thought I heard your knee. It's like, shit, man, you had me walked. You had me walked. That's amazing. That's amazing. When you've got them like that as well, that's incredible. Yeah. To, to, to be that person who, you know, go back to when you, um, when you were breaking in and it was kick pads to the mill mask, wrist mask, and to go from that to the, the, the much trumpeted uh, uh, sellout backstage the people watching and applauding it must feel like the very much like the match that you had your first match it must have felt like it must have flown by mm. in the years in, of- in in a way but mm. um yeah just it's been it also feels like like it was a genuine feels like it was a lifetime ago like mm. walking into iww walking into that that lock up uh, that locker uh, that little garage and um, just, yeah, taking my force bump or whatever. It just feels like it was an actual lifetime ago because so much has changed and so much is like in my life and wrestling in general, so much has, is so much is different. Not even just like the production or the quality of matches or anything, just like the quality of the training um, the, and our own knowledge. Cause like back then, like the trainers in IWW, we're still trainees themselves. Mm. So like we come so far and yeah, it's just, it's just crazy to think. And again, from a personal standpoint then as well, like I was thinking, saying earlier that like, I wish I had committed more to, uh, or I should have committed more to, uh, to wrestling. And yeah, maybe I should have, but I can't look at it like that because I also, I wouldn't change anything about my life now. Like, uh, having, having Linda, 
and having the two girls. If if I had put more effort into wrestling, who knows where I'd be? Who knows whether I would have stayed in in Smith's Toys and met Linda that that uh, that October when she started working? And who knows what would have happened from there? So like I can't. I I like I like to kind of see myself as a bit of a cautionary tale to uh, to younger wrestlers that are coming in. Look, if you're gonna do this, commit to yourself a hundred percent. Commit to the to wrestling a hundred percent. Do everything you need to do. If you want to start a family, by all means, but it will be increasingly difficult for you to to do both. So if you're gonna if you're gonna do this, do a hundred. Do it one hundred percent. Because uh, yeah, just. You don't you don't want to be living with regret, and again, not that I do, not that I do live with regret because I know what I have, and I wouldn't change it. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs> 